Amen. Amen. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Awesome. One person's doing good. That's great. I hope the rest of you are doing good as well. I hope you had a great, great Thanksgiving and that the tryptophan-induced Thanksgiving coma has finally worn off by now. Um, my name is Dan Hammer. I have the privilege of being the senior pastor here and uh, just want to welcome you here, uh, whether you've been here a while, whether you've been here just a, a few times, or maybe this is your first time. You are loved here and you are welcome here. You're wanted here. And we are so glad that you are here. And praise God for all that he is doing here. Amen. He is doing a big, big work, and I just want to say, you know, it's, it was just such a blessing to sit under one of our other elders, uh, Don Webster's teaching and preaching last week. Didn't Don do a great job? Amen. And so um, Don is in his normal habitat this morning. He's teaching our kids. Praise God for that. And so if you see him today, maybe just give him a little bit of encouragement if God used him and used it, worked in him and through him to impact your life through his message last week. Just a, it, just a heartfelt, hey, this is what I took away from the message at how God used you in my life. I think that would be a great encouragement to him. And so just uh, praise God for how he's building his church. And thank you to Nate and Stephanie and their team for making, turning this into a Christmas um, place in a lot of ways. And so it looks beautiful in here, doesn't it? And so super thankful for that. And especially to shout out to Nate and Tommy for doing the backdrops and the cutouts. They look awesome, don't they? And just like those cutouts look, uh, and signify, we're going to go on a journey to Bethlehem ourselves over the next uh, few weeks. Our Christmas series is called Come and See Christmas. It is in the spirit of our year-long theme, Come and See. And so it's an invitation to come and see Christ, the Christ that is Christmas. And so we're going to look verse by verse uh, through the predominantly the first two chapters of the, of the gospel of Luke between now and Christmas Eve. And, and as we journey to see the hope that, that Jesus brings us, the, the power of God demonstrated, the love, the peace, the joy, and ultimately the salvation that Jesus offers us. That's what we're, where we're going. And that's what we're looking for. Because the invitation is this. It's a heart to look past consumerism and commercialism and to look and see Christ and, and to see the hope that is in in and through him. And we're going to share a lot of different ways how God is working in our church. And so I want to encourage you and remind you and inform you if you're not sure yet. We're going to have a family chat at the end of the service. And so if you can't stay for that, we totally get it. You can grab your kids and go after the response song. But we're going to hang out for a few minutes after the close of the response song to share some exciting news and how God is working specifically in the life of this church. And we want to encourage you to, uh, to join in with us, whether you're in person or online. And I want to say hi to all our online uh, friends as well. I know a lot of people are traveling today and or at home not feeling great. And so I'm so thankful for the opportunity we have to worship together with you online or in person. And so I don't, I, you know, the reality is many of us walk around today and go, should we say happy Thanksgiving or Merry Christmas? I'm not sure yet, right? It's in that land between. But even as we look forward to Christmas, we want to say Merry Christmas, but the reality is we might not feel very merry this Christmas season at all. In fact, Christmas might not be merry for some of us, if not many of us. In fact, Christmas is often messy, isn't it? As it's reminding of the grief that we carry or some of the relational strife that we are, are burdened with, uh, some of the financial struggle that we are enduring, or a lot of the hard and the hurt and the brokenness of this world. And I don't know what you're carrying today, um, but I just want you to know that there's hope here because Jesus is here. We're not here to deny the hurt and the hard. In fact, we're going to look at that in the text. We're going to see the, uh, just uh, the hurt and the heart of this world, uh, an outcry of, 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 some, of a lovely married couple that does not have the desires of their heart, and maybe that's you this morning. But I, we want to see in the middle of the grief and the struggle, the disappointment, the unmet desires, the, the, the expectations gone awry, the discouragement, the shame that you might even be carrying, the guilt. And we want to see God's grace. We want to see the grace that will meet us in the middle of that and the hope that God offers us through that. The question for today is, what do you do when you've lost all hope in something? 
What is that area of your life that you have lost hope in this morning? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a job journey. Maybe it's an unmet or a relational struggle. Maybe it's your parenting, your marriage. Maybe it's your singleness. Maybe it's a desire to have a child as we're going to see vividly in the text today. What are, what is that thing in your life that you lost hope in your health? And what do you do with that? We're going to see a couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth that had in a lot of ways lost hope. In the deepest yearning of their physical hearts, they had lost hope that it could happen. But what did they do in the middle of that oozing of hope? And we're going to see in the middle of their heart and their heart that God's going to meet them there, just like he's going to meet you here. We're not here to diminish the reality of your difficulty. We are here to elevate the reality of God's sovereignty and his surpassing greatness in and through it all. And to see in the middle of our brokenness, the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. Amen. No matter what hurt or hard you are carrying, the invitation is this today, friends. Come and see. Come and see the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come and see Jesus, who is our hope. Come and see the grace of God. Journey with us and see the reality of his love for you. Because in the hurt and the heart of this world, you can either react one of two ways to that. You can run from God. And frankly, many of us in this room are probably trying to run from God right now in the middle of our hurt and our heart or struggling with that. Or we can run to God. The path to hope is the path of running to God. In the middle of your difficulty to bring him your struggle, to bring him your hurt and your pain and allow him to work in you and to work through you. Here's a big idea for today. You'll see it on your notes on the screen. It's this, this hope is believing the promises of God will be fulfilled in the timing of God to accomplish the purposes of God for the glory of God. Hope is believing the promises of God will be fulfilled in the timing of God to accomplish the purposes of God for the glory of God. Who's the center of that? Who's the subject of that, right? It's all about God. We find hope when we make God our center, make God our desire, God our pursuit. We struggle for hope when we make ourselves the center. Who is at the center of your heart in life today? We're going to learn today that this is, that this is really the, the recipe for biblical hope. Just like many of us are like breaking out grandma's pecan pie, pumpkin pie recipes. And go, oh, this is so good and yummy, right? How easy it is sometimes to stray from the biblical definition of hope. And then when we actually begin to apply it in our lives, we go, oh, wow, I begin to feel the hope of this world. It doesn't mean the hurt and the heart go away, but we begin to experience the hope of Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would experience that today too. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just pray that whatever we are walking through whatever we are carrying, whatever we showed up with today in person, online, God, that we would lay it at your feet today, that the hurt and the heart and the heartbreak of this world, God, we would experience the hope that only you can give and offer as we shift our eyes off of our circumstances and onto you, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for your hope. And we are, the reality is not a hope is not a circumstance. It's a person. It's Jesus Christ. And thank you, Jesus, for coming. And Jesus, I just pray that through the power of your word, that God, that Holy Spirit, that you would move in our hearts, that you would work in us and through us to see the hope that you have given us, the hope that you have provided for us, and that we would learn to embrace it and pursue it and live in it and walk in a hope that is not dead, but is very much alive, as First Peter writes. So God, that it is a living hope. And God, we thank you for that hope. We need that hope. Jesus, 
we need you today. And uh, we love you and we look to you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Turn with me, if you would, to the Gospel of Luke. If you don't have a Bible or some in the back uh, at the connections table for you, we would love for you to take one. That would be a great gift to us if you would take that Bible and read it, use it, learn it, love it, and apply it. Luke chapter 1, we're going we're to be journeying between now and Christmas Eve, between Luke 1 and Luke 2, verse by verse, as we come and see the Christ that gives us Christmas. Luke 1, verses 5 through 25. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was this priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lots to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside of the hour of incense. And they were appeared to him, an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall this be? How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when they came out, he was unable to speak to them. And he, they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when the time of his service was ended, he went to his home And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Amen. Praise be to God indeed. As we, as we look at this text, we see that Herod was the king of Judea, and Herod was a puppet king installed by the rulers of Rome. Um, he was a figurehead, if you would, um, and to keep the people under the, under the Roman thumb. The Jewish people at this time were, it was a very discouraging time to live. The Roman government reigned. They, were, they didn't have a lot of ground to stand on, and they had not heard from God in 400 years. It's a long time, isn't it? Sometimes we're like, God, I haven't heard you in four seconds. My prayer time is over. Four minutes. For days, 400 years, God had been silent. And maybe you feel like God's been silent in your life today too. Zechariah and Elizabeth can identify. But did the silence of God stop Zechariah and Elizabeth from serving God faithfully? No. 
or walking with God blamelessly. No, I'm blown away by how they're described. The scripture describes them in verse six, and both were righteous before God, walking blamelessly in the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. Wow. God was silent, but they were still walking for God. They were keeping not just some, but all. In a lot of ways, this is the same way that Job is referred to in the Old Testament. They were serving the Lord. They were walking with the Lord. They weren't perfect because no human being can be perfect, but they were about as spiritually mature as you can physically be in our fallen and broken state. They were pursuing the Lord. They were actively serving the Lord, even into their old age, which is the Bible has a nice way of saying both were advanced in years. Translation, they were old or wise, as we like to say here. And may that be true of us, that whether we think we hear from the Lord or not, we serve faithfully until the day that we are done. Because if you're not dead, you're not done serving the Lord. But the heartbreaking point was this in verse seven, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. This is really hard. The deepest desire of their heart was gone unmet. They walked blamelessly before the Lord. How, if anybody, just like Job could have said, God, why? Where is my child? I've been praying. I've been serving. Where? And barrenness is not just a thing. It, is one of the, it was one of the most difficult things in that day. Elizabeth says it in verse 25. She felt reproach shame amongst the people. Cause the people just walk around town going, what did Elizabeth do? What does Zechariah do? What active sin are they living in? Cause obviously God has it out for him or else he would bless him with a child. That was the spirit and the culture of the day. That wasn't true. Here's a really hard reality from this text. Walking righteously before God does not prohibit us from suffering in this world. We need to grow as disciples in our proper theology of suffering. Just because we are walking blamelessly and righteously as this text describes, they were suffering greatly because they were barren. They did not have what their heart yearned and desired for. And it was not a bad thing to yearn for. Obviously it was a great thing to yearn for a child. Sometimes God says no. Sometimes God says not yet. All the time God says, I have my best for you. And sometimes we have a struggle to understand that or agree with that. And I don't, maybe you're walking through some of those things and you have this give and take relationship with God where it's quid pro quo. God, if you give me a child, then I will serve you. We're trying to actually dictate to God, which actually kind of makes us our own little God, doesn't it? Our own big God. Shame on us. But where in your life are you doing that right now? God, if you give me X... If you give me money, then I'll tithe. God, if you give me a wife, then I'll start going to church. God, if you do this, then you put conditions on your relationship with God. Praise God, Elizabeth and Zechariah did not do that. But where are you doing that? Suffering is hard. But we're going to see the hope of God meet them in the middle of their service to God, in the middle of their suffering before God. We have people in this church, there's one that I admire greatly that uh, has helped, been a part of our core group in um, eight and a half years, and she suffers greatly quietly. You would never know. Stricken with illnesses that doctors have no idea how to heal her. But she is arguably the greatest prayer warrior for, the, for this church. Suffering greatly before God does not diminish our ability to serve God faithfully. May we not allow it to.
our disappointments in life have a way of revealing our theology about God. If God, you're not giving me what I want, then obviously you're not good. You're not loving, you're not caring, and that's wrong theology. God, it cannot not be good. <laughs> he is always gracious, he is always kind, he is always compassionate, he is always full of mercy and grace. Whether he gives us what we want or not, we can trust that he is working for his best in our lives. Romans 8.28 stands. We just need to trust it even when we don't like it, even when we don't see it. We need to surrender it and submit to it. And can I tell you that verse seven hit me like a ton of bricks this week? Can you imagine being Elizabeth? But they had no child. And look at the next four words in the text. Why? Because Elizabeth was barren. Can you imagine the guilt that she felt? The shame? And maybe you're feeling that way too for some things. It wasn't her fault. She didn't do anything wrong or to deserve this. God just chose to allow it for God's reasons. And it's hard to trust in this situation. So I'm not saying it's easy but God is still good. And maybe you can resonate with Elizabeth. Can you, can you just feel the heaviness and the hurt and the potential for hopelessness? And maybe in your situations, you're feeling that way too this morning. So how do we have hope in the middle of the hurt? How do we have hope in the middle of the heart and the heartache? We believe the promises of God will be fulfilled in the time in God for the purposes of God to, to give glory to God. Then one day everything changes in verse eight and nine and 10. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, he being Zechariah, isn't it amazing? He's actively serving God. He's a priest, both Zechariah and Elizabeth come from the line of Aaron. He gets this literally once in a lifetime privilege. His name was drawn. There's no, there's no coincidences in God's economy to go and serve in the holy place of the temple, not the holy of holies, but the place right outside the holy of holies where he would go and bring incense. He was making prayers on behalf of the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, as a priest, as an intermediary. And while he was doing this, this amazingly beautiful act of worship, and while the people outside were praying, verse 11, God shows up in the form of sending his angel. Praise God for that. Right into the altar of incense. In Zechariah verse 12, he was troubled. And you know what? You and I would be too. Can you imagine if we're in the middle of worship, an angel shows up? It would, it would drop me to my knees. I don't know about you. Can you, what did I do? What's going to happen? And in this time, the hope of God appears. And that same God, that same hope, that same love, that same care is here for you and I today too. So when we are tempted to lose hope, we're going to see from this text two steps to take to embrace living with the hope of God, to come and see the hope of God. It's an invitation from this text. The first is this, when tempted to lose hope, my friends, turn to God fervently because he always hears your prayers. He always hears your prayers. Praise God for that truth, amen. Zechariah is serving the Lord and he's met by the angel of the Lord. He says, fear not. So how do I deal with a heavy heart? How do I deal in the hurt of this world? I would say two things. Look up and lift up. By look up, look up to God. Look up to his, take your eye off your circumstances and on to God and lift up your prayers, specifically, directly messy prayers. 
How do I know that Zechariah had been praying? Well, look at verse 13. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Why? Right here. For your prayer has been heard. Isn't that awesome? That God hears our prayers. That even while they were waiting, even while they were discouraged, even when they struggled to believe, as we will see in verses 18 and 19, when actually the prayer is answered, and Zechariah is like, you sure about that? They kept praying. Are you continuing to pray in the middle of your hurt and hard that the, the long suffering prayers of your heart that have yet to go answered and you're ready to give up on or you've already given up on? Keep praying, friends. God is hearing. God is listening. God is working. Even when you don't see it, understand it, or like it. Part of prayer is a big part of it is surrender. God will not always change your external circumstances around you but he will always change the internal circumstances inside you to give you hope because you begin to trust his promises. You begin to anchor in his timing. You begin to yearn for his purposes over your purposes. You begin to seek his glory over your glory. That's what prayer does. And as those things happen, then we have hope because those things will always happen, will always be accomplished. Your prayers have been heard. How would your prayer life change today, friends, if you knew God answered and God heard your prayers? He does. He doesn't always give you what you want. He will always give you what you need. Now, when you look down to verse 18 and 19, you see Zechariah's response. How do I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. After this promise that John was going to come and his Elizabeth was going to have a kid. This is John the Baptist, by the way. We've been seeing him a lot and as we've gone through John. How do I know? And, and, and men take note of this, the, the political correctness, the, the love. He's like, my wife is advanced in years. Very gentle. I'm just old, <laughs> right? <laughs> So, so praise God for Zechariah even loving his wife and talking about her this way. Um, but he doesn't believe it. In the middle of his doubt, though, in the middle of, his, of, of God, does God still answer the prayer? Yeah. Isn't that awesome? That even when Zechariah said, how can this be biologically, physically? It's not possible. I doubt it. Angel's like, God's still going to do it. Isn't that awesome? Now, how would your prayer life not only change if you actually believe God heard your prayers, how would your prayer life change if you actually believe God would answer your prayers? Would you pray a little differently? He's answering the prayer right here. And that's a challenge to all of us, myself included. Even when you doubt, are you still praying? Zechariah was. Will you? We had a situation like that earlier this year in the church and talking with someone and they're like, I, I'm not sure. I, I just have lost a confidence that God's going to work, that he's going to do a heart work, transformational work in the, the life of my spouse. And I don't, I can't see it. I, I begin to doubt it. I, I don't, I'm, I'm really tempted to stop praying. I'm struggling to pray for it. Keep praying. And you know what God did? God saved that spouse. Praise God. And that same God that did it then can and will do it again in his timing. We see that in this text, which will be fulfilled in verse 20, in their time, in God's timing. So part of praying is trusting God's timing, as we'll see that in a little bit. And you're doubting, friends, today, are you praying? And you're waiting, are you praying? And you're struggling, 
Are you praying? Are you surrendering? Are you obeying? Are you still like Zechariah and Elizabeth in your doubting? Are you still serving? And you're struggling, are you still serving the God faithfully? Or is your serving God faithfully contingent on God giving you what you want or like or think that you need? Because that's not true surrender. You're still trying to control. Where do you need to repent of that today? I love the faithfulness of Zechariah and Elizabeth, the authenticity that they served faithfully. They were walking righteously, but they were still struggling. Zechariah was still struggling to believe. Keep praying. God is still working. God sees you. He knows you. He loves you. He cares for you. He hears your prayers. He's answering. Are you running to God? Or are you running away from God? How do we know that God hears our prayers? Here's what the prophet Jeremiah says to a, a nation of people that are in captivity because of the consequence for their sin. Jeremiah 29, 12 and 13 says this to, to them and to us. Then you will call upon me, God says to the prophet Jeremiah, and come and pray for me and I will what? I will hear you. You will seek me and you will find me when what? When you seek me with all of your heart. Friends today, are you seeking the Lord with all of your heart? I say this often, if you've been here a minute, you've probably heard me say it. God is the worst hide-and-go-seek player in the history of mankind. He wants to be found. <laughs> he tells you how to find him. Will you seek him with all of your heart? How do I do that? I come to my God like he is. He's my heavenly father. Parents in this room, do you want your kids to come to you when they have struggles? Is there any situation in the world, no matter how much trouble they've done, that you would not want your child to come to you? <laughs> There might be consequences, <laughs> but don't you always want them to come to you? Come messy, come broken, come hurting, come bleeding, come yearning, come excited. Just come to the Father, right? Just come. In the same way, our Heavenly Father today wants us to just come to him as we are, not as we aren't, messy, broken, in the reality of our sin and our struggle, just come and be real. God, I need you. God, I skinned my knee today. Daddy, help. The person hurt me. God, help. I don't know what to do. Just come. He can handle it. Just come. Because you know what happens when you come? The author of Hebrew puts it this way. That let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that you may what? Receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Praise God for that. That we can, when we come to God, guess what we get from God? Mercy and grace that will always help us in our time of need. I don't know what your need is today, personally, in your relationships or whatnot. I just know that God will give you the mercy and the grace that you need. He might not give you the circumstance that you want, but he will give you the mercy and the grace that you need to sustain, to endure, to change your focus, to provide salvation, deliverance, conviction, which leads to repentance, which is grace. all made possible by his grace. You shall call his name John, verse 13. You know what the name John means? Anybody know? Jehovah, God, is gracious. The arrival of John, the breaking of the silence, is the declaration of the grace of God. The reality that not God doesn't just do grace, and give grace, which he is and he does, but God is in fact gracious. Praise God for that. And may the grace of God compel you to run into the arms of the loving God 
that wants to hear your prayers and meet you where you are and give you what you need. So you might be like, Pastor Dan, how do I do that in the world, in my heart, in my heart? Again, we're not diminishing the hurt and the heart, the difficulty. We're elevating God's sovereignty and his grace. There's a type of really important prayer that I think Zechariah and Whistle probably prayed a lot that I have learned a lot about the last two or three years, beginning with COVID and the pandemic and, and going on. It's called lament. It's a prayer of hope. It's a prayer of grief. It's where I bring my hurt in my heart and my heartache in, and lay it before the sovereign King of Kings and Lord of Lords and layer upon that the reality of God's character. I'm not diminishing my difficulty or my hurt in my heart, but God help and hope. Did you know that the lament is the greatest number of Psalms in one category that there is? Grouping of Psalms. There's a whole book called Lamentations in the Old Testament. I think we need to learn to lament. I see, I see that in the heart of Zechariah and Elizabeth. I see that in the heart of my life. There's a great book. I'm going to equip you with this called, by Mark Vragop called Dark, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy that is all about laments. It's been huge for me in my life. I would encourage you to read it. What Vragop describes as lament is that lament is the honest cry of a hurting heart wrestling with the paradox of pain and the promises of God's goodness. It's actually free right now through the Gospel Coalition for an ebook. The holiday season tears a lot of band-aids and, scar- and off. It reveals a lot of scars. It pours salt in a lot of wounds, old, present, past. How do we have hurt in the heart? How do we have hope in the heart and the hurt? We lament. We grieve. Spiritual maturity and hope is not the absence of earthly grief. It's actually the presence of it, but it's a focus on the eternal glory. Earthly grief and eternal glory coexist in this tension that can be really difficult sometimes. The question is, where's our focus? But we need to, in order to hope, we need to grieve. Grief is real and it's necessary. And I don't know what you need to grieve the loss of or the dying of or the hurt or whatever, but we need to bring it and allow the grace of God to wash over us like waves on a, crashing on a beach. And I love what Vragarp writes in the book. He says this, he says, in my study of lament, I've come to love words like yet or but in the Bible because they mark the place in the journey where pain and belief coexist. It is how we gain the confidence to ask boldly despite the sorrow and grief that we feel. But the yet or but means that I choose to keep asking God for help to cry out to him for my needs, even when the pain of life is raw. Yet or but reminds us that sorrow doesn't have to yield before we ask God for help. Part of the grace of lament is the way it invites us to pray boldly, even when we are bruised badly. And maybe that's you this morning. I think of Elizabeth and Zechariah when I think about that, the pain of not having a child and the shame and the whispers at every coffee shop around town. Lament is actually, you know, one of the most popular verses that many of us know and have memorized. It's, it's a lament. It's from Lamentations 3, 19 through 24. Here's a beautiful example of a biblical lament. Jeremiah writes this, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, by the way, at the, he's weeping the destruction of Jerusalem as a consequence for the sin of the people of Israel. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the warm wood and the gall. It's not a denial of the difficulty. It's actually God remember these things. 
May my soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But, but, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Hope is not the absence of difficulty. Friends, see it in this text right here, the Bible. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is our faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will have hope in him. Praise God, amen. Now, where's the hope? Is it in, it's in God, right? His hope is not in the standing of Jerusalem. The wall is being rebuilt. The temple reigning supreme in terms of just its presence in that place is the place of worship. The people coming back from captivity. That's not where he's saying he's grieving the loss of those things. He's acknowledging the reality of those hard, really hard, in the middle of tears. But he's saying my hope is not in those things, but it's in what? It's in God, the character of God the mercy of God, which is new every morning, the steadfastness of his love, his faithfulness, which endures. So friends, if you were to take that text, then I want to encourage you to do that this week and make it your own. Make verse 19 your own and go before God and say, remember my and fill in the blank, my broken relationship, the abuse from my past, my struggle to make ends meet, my shattered career, my divorce, my prodigal child, whatever it is for you. Remember it, lay it out before God, come to God messy. He hears your prayers. He knows you, the hurt, the heartache, the hard. Because you're, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. And then write that out and meditate. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. The mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord's my portion. That means he's your satisfaction. That means he's enough. Says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. I will hope in him. It's an active choice. It's a choice to what? Remember the promises of God. To trust the timing of God, the purposes of God, the glory of God. Hope is not anchored in the goodness of my circumstances. Hope is anchored in the goodness of the character of God. A hope-filled life shifts your, praise, your focus off of your circumstances and onto Christ. Where do you need to do that this week? Where do you need to do that? There's hope in the name of Jesus. Hope is not stuffing the hard. It's bringing the hard to God and trusting the character of God in the middle of our heart and our hurt and our barrenness and our shame and our Reproach, just like Zachariah and Elizabeth. Will you do that this week? Second way that we want a step to take when we're tempted to lose hope, to experience the hope of God, to embrace the hope that Jesus offers us is this in a world full of hard, is to trust in God fully because he always keeps his promises. Now, what's really interesting is that here is that, Elizabeth, is that Zechariah had enough faith to keep praying, but he didn't have enough faith to struggle to actually obey and believe when God actually answered. Maybe you've been there before. I have. I'll pray for it. I'll pray. Wait a minute, God, you're actually going to do this? I, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> and we see that with his reaction to the angel. Where do you need to trust in God fully? by choosing to put on our trust daily and holistically, trusting in in God for all of our things, not just some. 
for all of your heart, all of your circumstances. And you're like, I'm good to trust God in my finances, but not in my marriage. I'm good to trust God with my present, but not with the pain of my past or the uncertainty of my future. Like we're all different. Some of us trust easily in this category and not as easily in others. And for others, it's this category, not you get it. But God wants you to trust him in every area. And he knows where you're struggling. Where do you need to bring it and trust him today, fully today? Zechariah trusted him enough to continue serving him, to walk blamelessly. But he didn't actually believe that God would actually answer the prayer. But he kept praying. Praise God for that. So from this text and for our hearts, how do we know that we can trust God? There are five reasons from this text that I believe that we can learn so that we, to trust God today. And whatever you're walking through, whatever the hurt or the hard, whatever the heartache is, the hope comes from trusting God fully, from relying on God, not ourselves, holistically, not some of us, but all of us. The first reason to trust God fully is this, because God always fulfills his promises. Look with me at verses 16 and 17. So this great pride, this, the angels is, is just declaring the greatness of, of how God is going to use John in this phenomenal way. And it says, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God, and he will go before them in the spirit of the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers, the children, the disobedient of the, to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. That's actually a direct reference to the last words of the Old Testament. In the book of Malachi, you'll see them on the screen right here. The, where Mal, the God says through his prophet Malachi to his people, right before the 400 year silence people, period starts, behold, I will send you an Elijah, the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn in the hearts of fathers to their children, the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. John is a prophet. John is a Nazarene, as we see filled with the Holy Spirit. He shouldn't drink wine or strong drink. And there, while there are different interpretations of the Malachi 4 passage, what I believe confidently and what other, a lot of other biblical uh, scholars believe, not that I'm a biblical scholar, but what a lot of them write in their commentaries is, is that this and Luke is a, a fulfillment of the Malachi 4 prophecy. There might be a double fulfillment coming in a, in a different way, but at a minimum, it is a fulfillment, which means God is keeping his promise. God is working here through the, the birth of John to fulfill the promise that he gave his people that there is going to be a prophet in the spirit of Elijah and the power of Elijah that will come to turn the children to prepare back to the Lord, to prepare a people prepared, to make ready for the Lord, a people prepared for the arrival of Jesus Christ and the hope of the gospel. God keeps his promises, amen? We can trust in that. We can look to that. Through 400 years of quiet, God is revealing the reality that he had still been working. He had been preparing. He hadn't forgotten his people, just like he, hadn't for, he isn't forgetting you in whatever circumstance you're walking or wandering through right now. The same God is at work in your heart and life. Even when you can't see it, he's doing something far greater than you could ever hope or imagine. Do you think Zachariah and Elizabeth ever thought that they would give birth to the child that would be the fulfillment of the prophecy from Malachi to make way the uh, people for the Lord? Uh-uh. But God had a different plan. His timing was different. You got to wait. It's not time yet. It's not time yet. And no, I can't reveal that to you yet. Man, we struggle to wait sometimes, don't we? But God's still working. God's still working. We can trust him in the waiting. Trust him in the waiting. So what problems do you have right now that maybe this week in trusting that God fulfills his promise, you write your problem, then you write a promise of God next to it. God, I'm struggling to have peace in this situation. We'll go to Philippians 4, write that in there. 
The peace of God will guard your heart and your mind as you give it to Jesus. Jesus, you, you say this, I'm struggling to believe it. In my disbelief, help me to believe. And on and on, you can do that. What circumstance do you then need to write a, char- a characteristic of the, of the character of God next to? We're not denying the circumstance or the difficulty of it or the hardship in it. We are elevating the character of God and the sovereignty of God as we change our focus from ourselves to God. The second reason we can trust God today is this, because it always produces joy in, every, in all circumstances. Trust, the act, of, the act of trusting God produces joy. Look at the text, verse 14. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. Praise God that we can have joy in and through Jesus. Happiness is fleeting, joy is enduring. In every circumstance, in every situation, there is a, the lack of joy in your life is a direct positive correlation to the lack of trusting God and God's word in your life. I'm not, if when I am not trusting God and God's word, okay, decreasing, my joy is decreasing. When I am trusting God and his word, my joy is increasing. There's a connection there because their trust is there. Where do you need to trust God and experience that joy that comes? Because if I know that God is going to accomplish his purpose, doesn't that give me joy? Even if it's hard, even if at the expense of my health, someone else comes to know the Lord, isn't that worth it? Isn't there a joy-filled opportunity in there? Yeah, even in the, at, the, at my personal financial struggle, if people still see me worshiping and my neighbor goes, why do you have a heart of worship when your dollars are decreasing in your bank and your joy is increased? Let me tell you about my God. Isn't that awesome? What a privilege it is when we focus our hearts on God to watch him work in us and through us in far greater ways than we could ever hope or imagine. The joy is focusing on Jesus first, others second, yourself third. Joy is focusing on Jesus. We can't allow Christ to be, our view of Christ to be dictated by the external circumstances in our life. We must allow the view of our external circumstances in our life to be dictated by how we view Christ. We need to change that paradigm shift. May the joy of the Lord be your strength as Nehemiah writes in Nehemiah 8.10. The third reason to trust God fully today is this, because not doing so has severe consequences. Look at eight verses 18 through 20. Now check this out. Zechariah had been walking blamelessly and righteously before God. Like, right? He, he was the most mature guy around. He had been actively serving the Lord. He was a priest. He had just come out of literally, or he was in the middle of this high honor of serving in, he was in the middle of the temple, actively serving God in the holy place of the temple. And then this angel comes out of nowhere and he struggles to believe because he's wrestling with, how shall you do this? And it's not just a question of how, it's really, it's doubt. It's not believing, the text says. What do you mean, Zachary, Elizabeth and I are gonna have a kid? We, have you checked the biology recently? And the angel of the Lord says, I stand in the presence of God who created biology. Who are you to doubt me? Where are you doubting God today? The God that can do anything and everything. And look at the consequences though. Behold, verse 20, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things takes place. Why? Because you did not believe in my words, which will be fulfilled in their timing. Because you did not believe. There is a consequence for unbelief. On earth, you miss out on opportunities. Zechariah missed out on the opportunity to speak for months. That was an earthly consequence. 
the far graver consequence for not believing the word of God is eternal separation from God for all of eternity when we do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and submit our heart and lives to him. That too is a very, very real consequence that we don't believe that Jesus came as a form of a baby, but came as fully God, fully man to die on the cross for our sins that we can't pay, that he took our place and bled his blood and sh- covering our sins, offering us a newness of life. And if you do not believe that, if you not fully surrendered your heart and life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will suffer the consequence of not believing and spending eternity in hell separated from God. And I beg of you, I implore you with every bone of my body to put your hope and faith in Jesus Christ, to submit, to give up control and to surrender to Jesus as your Lord and Savior today. I'm not talking about religion. I'm glad you're here. I'm talking about a personal relationship with our Heavenly Father through his son, Jesus Christ. Will you do that? Because not believing in God, not trusting in God has severe consequences. Trusting in God is putting your full weight on him. Where do you need to do that today? If you don't, if you're a believer like Zechariah and Elizabeth were, there is still a consequence for not trusting God in certain situations and circumstances. God determines that. But it, for this consequence, he, had to be, he was mute. In your life, you might be missing out on some opportunities as well as consequences for not trusting God and living out and walking out in obedience, not surrendering. Where is that happening in your life right now? Would you choose to repent today, allow the Holy Spirit to convict you of that and then choose to put your trust and faith in him and to obey whatever he says, to trust, to believe, to act? Because the fruit of, obe- uh, of belief is the obedience. The fourth, the fourth way, the reason that we can trust God today is this, is that because God always accomplishes his eternal purposes. Verse 16 and 17, verse 20, we see that right here. He always accomplishes his purposes. His purpose was to bring salvation for his people. He's going to use John to do it. He's going to use Zechariah and Elizabeth to, to birth John, to tell other people about Jesus, to make way of people prepared. To, to people will rejoice in the Lord. He will be great before the Lord. Like God is going to accomplish the purpose which he first declared in Genesis chapter three, right after the uh, sin came into the world, when he declared the heartbeat of the gospel that there would be one day, one that would come that would crush the heel of Satan. Or crush the head. And we see it in verse 20 which will be fulfilled in their time. God always accomplishes purposes in his timing. God is, newsflash, God is never early and he's never late. He's always on time. But how many of us are trying to get God on our timeline today as opposed to submitting and surrendering our hearts and lives to his timeline? He has eternal purposes at play. And maybe our hurt and our hard, not maybe, definitely, is part of his eternal purpose for our sanctification, for our salvation, for others' salvation around us. And if it is, is that okay with you? God always answers prayers. He either answers yes, no, or not yet. God's delay is not always, it's not always God's denial. And sometimes God's no is actually preparation for a greater yes. God has said no to Zachariah and Elizabeth for years, for decades, to prepare them for a greater yes. Will you still believe in the waiting? Will you still believe in the not yet? Will you still continue to serve and love and act because your hope is in God? It's not in even the beautiful thing that is the arrival of a beautiful baby boy. 
but our hope isn't in that. Our hope is in the arrival of the ultimate baby boy, Jesus Christ. Where's your hope this morning? God always accomplishes purposes. Their childlessness was not due to personal sin on their part. It wasn't due to lack of faith. It was due because God had a greater plan. God had a greater plan. We don't always know. He doesn't always read us in. We're not on a need to know basis on everything that we want to be, don't we? (laughs) That's hard. But we can trust the character of God that says he's working because he is. That his way is greater than our way. We have to surrender control. That's what trust is. Giving up control, trusting in him. Often we don't experience hope because we have a wrong source of hope. Our hope is in the better career, the military advancement, the arrival of a child, financial security, a marriage, whatever. Those aren't what meant to be our ultimate source of hope or satisfaction. Only Jesus. Where do you need to shift your source of hope? And in shifting your source of hope, you will find hope. When heaven is your focus, hope is your experience. When heaven is your focus, hope is your experience. The fifth and final reason to trust God today is because through it, I experienced deliverance. We experienced deliverance. Look at what happened here. Verse 24 and 25. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among the people. Through the trusting in the Lord, God took away, he delivered Elizabeth from the reproach that she had been experiencing, from the shame, from the guilt, he took it away. Praise God for that. As they trusted in the Lord, who acted, who took away the the shame? The Lord, the Lord has done for me. We can't do it ourselves. We can't save ourselves. We can't deliver ourselves. We can't work hard for years. They have been the most faithful people. They were walking righteously, living blamelessly, serving faithfully, yet carrying this deep reproach inside of them and looked on outside of them. But God, but God did for them what he can do for you today. The removal of that shame and that reproach as we surrender it at the foot of God and run to the Father as opposed to running away from the Father. He did it. He looked on me. Friends, look, take heart in verse 25 that God is looking on you today too. That same Lord that looked on Zechariah and Elizabeth is looking down on you right now. He knows your pain. He knows your hurt. He knows your heartache. He's at work and he knows that he is the answer and he's given us the answer in Jesus Christ. And he's actively at work to deliver you. Will you trust in him? Would you bow your heads with me? I don't know where your shame is today, your source of shame. I don't know who your source of hope is today. I don't know what that long awaited cry of your heart that is unmet right now is. But where do you need hope? What part of your heart and life do you need hope in the most right now? In this moment, what will you choose to shift the focus of that hope and the source of that hope from yourself and onto our Savior? Is there a promise from God you need to trust in again? 
You need to rest in. You need to claim. You need to really believe it. Is there something you need to surrender? A relationship, a job, desire, a past pain and allowing the forgiveness of God to cover it, control of the future, religion, in pursuit of that relationship. And maybe you need to surrender your life for the first real time. Is there a step of obedience God is asking you to take that maybe you've been doubting? God, can you really use me in this way like Zechariah? God, I can't see it. But today, will you choose to believe it? Maybe repent of that unbelief and, and give yourself fully to the Lord. Maybe you need to choose to repent from living for your own glory in this world and finding yourself as a source of hope instead to seek the glory of God. Because remember, hope is believing in the fulfillment of the promises of God and the timing of God for the purposes of God to accomplish the glory of God. The pathway forward to hope is clear. Will you take a step to walk in that and embrace it today? As we pray, we're going to sing a response song. But if there's something you just need to cry out to the Lord and you don't need to sing, just let the words of the song wash over you. If there's someone you want to pray with, the Holy Spirit leads you to pray with, get up and move and go pray as we sing. Cry out to the Lord. Repent of stopping to pray about something. Ask the Lord to give you hope. Help my unbelief. He is here to break through. He sees you. He knows you. He is here to remove and that reproach in the same way that he removed that reproach from Elizabeth. He's here to do that again for you today because he is gracious and he is good and he is God. Father, we just thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for your grace and your goodness in our lives. God, in the, while we are tempted in the hurt, in the heart, in the heartache to run from you, I just pray that right now we would choose to run to you and bring our hurt, bring our struggle, bring our unmet desire, bring our pain to you. the one who sees us, the one who knows us, the one who loves us, the one who sent his son to die on the cross for us. The one who is waiting with redeeming and unconditional love to lavish his sustaining and unending grace, to break through the silence with his grace and with his salvation and with deliverance. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for the hope that we have in you. In your name we pray, amen.